I'm a numbers guy. I'm a numbers person. I grew up thinking numbers, like calculating numbers, dividing numbers. If I would save money, I'd sit there and like throw all the all the, the change on the floor and sit there for 10 minutes and count it. I was the kind of kid who would measure stuff or like, you know, to calculate what, what's needed in a room and all that kind of stuff. So as long as I could remember, I, I loved numbers, appreciated numbers. My wife, on the other hand, would say always, like I'd hear it so often throughout our marriage, Dave, slow down, don't just throw numbers at me. That's, that's what she'd say, slow down, just don't, don't just throw numbers at me, you got to explain this stuff to me, you know, and so there's numbers people and there's not so many numbers people, here's how it affects me sometimes, I was buying a, a gift for my, my uh, sister, uh, she recently had a birthday and our two, bro- two brothers and I, and we got together, we bought her a gift, and it was, um, I was, I was kind of commissioned to go buy it. And so I went to Fairview and uh, picked up this thing for my sister. And it was a larger gift. It was a couple of hundred dollars because it was a special birthday. And so I asked them some questions. I always ask, like, is there a special going on today? You know, so anyways. So, but there was, there was. They said, sir, for every hundred dollars you spend, you get $15 off. I'm like, oh, that's not bad. And I knew that this collective gift, gift was going to get up there. So uh, I put it all together, decided everything, cool, I'm going to buy it. So I buy it, I pay for it, I get the bill, and I look at it, and I just ask them a question. I said, I, it looks like the numbers are off. And they said, what do you mean? I said, it looks like you charged me, overcharged me like four or five bucks. How do you figure that, sir? And I said, well, then I, I thought, I asked them, I said, did you charge me taxes before or after the discount? <laughs> and so they're like, I don't know, our system just does it. So I, in my head, I looked at them like, okay, you guys charged me before the discount, and then you took the, the $30 off. They're like, yeah, I guess so. I go, yeah, that's the five bucks. So that's, that's the insanity that goes on in, in my brain. So you're either blessed with this, or you're cursed with it, right? And so sometimes it comes in handy, and sometimes ignorance is bliss, Right? Okay, good. Today, I, I just, you know, I was thinking about this, and, and um, today I, I want to share just my personal story, not with numbers, but my personal story with money, my relationship with money. Money is numbers, and numbers are money as well. And, um, and so through story, I want to, I'm not necessarily going to teach or preach or even necessarily call you to something in, in specifically, but I, I want to share my personal journey and relationship with money. And I think it's an important question and an important idea because we use money for so many things. We use money to meet needs. We use money to, to, to fund a dream. We use money to leave a legacy. Um, some of us just use money to buy candy, and that's fine, you know. But some of us use money to make an impact or to fuel ministry and mission. And I'm often asked the question, um, because maybe because I'm a numbers person, is, uh, you know, how, how do you view money? How do you handle money? Uh, what's your take on finances, and uh, and I actually appreciate talking uh, about that with people, and uh, and often in premarital counseling or um, even sitting down with singles or couples, it's a joy for me to walk through financial stuff with them because I think it's such an important part of life. And so today, today I want to share some of the things that have influenced me, uh, some of my experiences, some scripture, kind of all packaged in together that shaped my relationship with money. Because I think we all have a relationship with money in some, in some way, shape, or form. And whether it's good or bad or however it's played out in your life, um, I, I want to you know, trust that there's always room for all of us to grow and understand that there's some ups and downs. But I want to just share my um, experiences that have shaped my relationship with money. And the first thing I want to share as we jump into this is this conviction that grew in me, not right away, 
But over time and over years, and I'm going to kind of start with this and then hopefully frame it at the end, this conviction that grew in me that God owns everything. Now, that can be both really encouraging and really challenging. For me, it was. There was moments when I recognized that God owns everything that it really encouraged me because I realized, well, I don't own everything, and that's pretty good. So the weight's off, my, off of me, right? And when I recognize, begin to recognize that God owns everything, some of the encouragement was, well, you know, God has this under control, and that was helpful. But the challenging part of that for me as I started to discover that God does own everything is that, well, maybe he wants to be part of of this money that I have or how I spend my money or use my money. And that started to really affect me, both the encouraging side of this truth and the challenging side of this truth that God owns everything. Early on, as I started to read scriptures, um, some of the scriptures used to come out come jump out at me when I would read them. Like Psalm 59 said, for every animal of the forest is mine. That's God speaking in Psalm 50. Every animal in the forest is mine. And this famous verse, and the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. Chapter, um, Psalm 24, it starts off saying, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And, and it started to just slowly build this awareness in me. Oh, God owns everything. And as I started to read the, the teachings of Jesus, Jesus has this amazing teaching in Matthew chapter 6 where he's encouraging his disciples who are very worried about life in the moment. And he encourages them. He says, listen, if my heavenly father has, has, has clothed the lilies of the field and has fed the sparrows, then why are you so worried? In other words, you're saying God owns everything. And later in Matthew 6, he says, seek God's kingdom first and everything else will be added to you as well. Because God owns everything. And that initial truth started to grow in me, and it led me to think and believe something else. That if God owns everything, then God provides everything too. And that's also encouraging and challenging. It encouraged me because I'm like, this is awesome. Anything I need, God's going to give me. But then I realized this is challenging because um, this, is the, this is the Lord's stuff. So... How do I deal with it? How do I manage it? And I learned this provision thing along the way. And in Christian circles sometimes, it's too easy just to say God provides and talk about the supernatural provision from the Lord. Like we know this, right? Jesus fed 5,000 people like with, with just some fish and some bread and he breaks it, he multiplies it. 5,000 people are fed in that day and thousands more because of women and children. And it's pretty amazing, right? There's a story in the Old Testament of one of the prophets, Elijah, and there's a, a poor widow who is, uh, wants to feed her son. There's a famine in the land. She doesn't know what to do. She has like this much oil and Elijah walks into her house and says, listen, you just keep making bread. And this little bit of oil is going to last. You'll never run out. This lady keeps making bread every day. And the oil never runs out for her to make this bread. These are these moments in the scripture where like, wow, God provides supernaturally. You're like, Jesus, I need 5,000 bucks. Where's it going to come from, right? And so, so we look at that. But that's not the only way I realized over some experiences that God provides. Here's one way I, I discovered early on in life that God provides through family. Now, I say this cautiously because I know some of us haven't had the best family experience or some of us maybe haven't had families that took care of us. But I, I learned and I was really grateful that God provided for me personally through my family. I realized that I had what I needed, that I ate when I needed, that I had a roof over my head, that there was a sense of safety and um, security, um, confidence in the way my family 
ran the affairs of our house. And I got to thinking, you know, Jesus said, if your earthly father gives you good gifts, and he's assuming a good earthly father, then he says, well, your heavenly father, imagine the good gifts there. But just put aside the heavenly father for a second. Jesus recognized, hey, there's some good earthly fathers, some good earthly parents that give good gifts to their kids. And I, rec- I, I just learned that by experience, not by reading the scripture at first, that God provides, provided for me through my family. I think it's in James where the scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from God, even the ones that come from your family. So I started to learn as a kid, as a kid, without exploring God's truth, that God often provides through family. I started to realize as well that God provides through work. Someone here at Westside often says, you know, the Lord has created business for provision. (laughs) That sometimes we just look at business as like, business. It's separate from God's stuff. But no, God has provided us with this opportunity. And so work, you know, Proverbs 28 verse 19 says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. And verses like that, you can see several of them throughout the Proverbs, but I started to discover this just through work. My first job, Yogan Fruz. Anybody remember that little chain that I think was only in malls? I worked for this frozen yogurt place called Yogenfruz at Carrefour Laval when I was 15 years old, my first job. And then after that, I crossed the food court to Burger Supreme. I went from ice cream to burgers. And, uh, and it was awesome. I think I worked there for six months in the mall, and, and it was my first job, and I was making money. I'm like, this is amazing. I have money. And, and I loved it. But I, I started to realize this is a way that God provides. And when I looked at like how my family provided for me, I realized they didn't that the money didn't just come, that they worked. And so there was this this sense like, oh, wow, God provides through different sources. The source of my provision, I realized, was always God, but sometimes it came from different hands. Anybody like at home just expectantly waits like an Amazon package or another company? And so I don't know about you, but when I order Amazon package, sometimes I'm like, when's it going to get here? So you go online and you track it, right? You track, where is this package, you know? And it's like, oh, today it's in LA. And then, wow, it's in Seattle. It's crossed the border. Now it's in Cornwall. It's in Point Claire. I'm like getting excited, right? And then it gets to my house. And sometimes we get that package. We're like, oh, this is amazing. But we, if we just look at the last place it, it left, like Point Claire or Cornwall, we're tempted to think that that's the source of this package, but we know it has a much deeper source. We know it goes back through other channels, right? And I think that's the same way when we think about our, when I, when I started to think about my provision, whether it was Yogan Fruz or the burger place or landscaping or even, thank God, being provided for as I served in ministry, other jobs I had, I came to realize that regardless of the hands that my provision came from, it always came from God. Regardless of the last hands that that provision came through, the source was always God. And then through that, I came to recognize, because now there is provision and money. And I started to realize, oh, maybe I need to be responsible for this provision. So as a, as a teenager, and then as a young adult, and then into adulthood, I started to have to learn how to handle this provision, how to handle what all, like the provision that God gave me. How to, how to consider it and think about it and how to manage it and steward it and how to save it and how to give it away. And so there was a moment, a season in my life, and it was 
basically from my late teens to my mid-twenties, where I started to really recognize that now my relationship with money was growing. It wasn't just that God owns everything. It wasn't just that he provides. It wasn't that it came from these channels. I started to realize, like, I now have to be responsible for this provision, and it comes through my spending. And I realized something really fast. I don't know if you got this early in life or late in life, that money would go where I would tell it to go. You ever come to that realization? That money goes where you tell it to go? Did you know that? You know that money doesn't just go anywhere. It actually goes where we tell it to go. And so, so you know, so that's really important. When, when I came to realize, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can actually tell my money where to go. How revolutionary. And, and I learned that through good purchases and bad purchases. I remember I was in my late teens. It was close to, oh, this is I'm old, but 1989, 88. And I know some of you are older than me and some of you are younger than me, but for me, it just feels like a long time ago. And so I don't know what was going on with fashion at the time, but cowboy boots started becoming popular. And maybe you still wear cowboy boots, that's okay. There's a nice niche for it in our society. But, here, here, but, but it was like 1989, 90, whatever. And, and at the time, Aldo shoes, like Aldo always puts in the front like what's really trending. And in the front of the store were cowboy boots. Now they're not in front of the store, but then they were. And so my brother and I, we saved up the money that we, were, we worked, and we thought, let's go buy some cowboy boots. And so he bought black ones, and I bought these brown reddish ones. And uh, I think he had the better choice. It just went with more of the clothes, right? But, but I remember we bought these boots. I bought these boots, and I realized after I wore them a few times, first of all, they're incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly uncomfortable and they were the ones that had i think fake snake skin on the front and something on the t- i don't know had a little bit of shine to it. i said these are really uncomfortable and as i would wear them i realized i don't have the clothes for cowboy boots like that's just and i started to re- look at them and say these are ugly like what did i do and it was in that moment i learned i had a choice to tell my money where to go and I sent it to cowboy boots. And, I, and, I, and it just, it, it, was, it dawned on me. And my relationship with money started to grow. Started to say, let, let me like, pause before you buy something. Think about how long this will last. Walk with them in the store first, at least, right? Um, maybe bring the pair of pants that you might wear with them. Who knows? But I started to recognize that. But what I started to realize in this whole spending thing is that sometimes I would spend more than I made, and then I was in a jam, and I was like, oh, my, oh nuts. I, I spent 100 I only have 80 I'm borrowing. Mom, can you pay for this first? And, and I'm starting to realize, oh, there's that. Okay, what's going on here? And now, when, it's just, when you're a teenager, it's not that big of a deal because you got some cover, right? But as you get older, you realize, I got no cover here. And so, so I started to realize that sometimes I would spend more than I make. And this, this phrase my dad would tell me, and like I told you, this message is more personal. It has a different sources of how I've learned this stuff, but... My dad would say this phrase all the time, and it's just etched in my head. He's like, back then, Cadillacs were, were kind of like the cool car. And he's like, you know, if, if you want a Cadillac, and there's an amazing one for 1000 bucks, but you don't have $1,000, don't buy the Cadillac. That's what my dad would say. I don't know why that phrase is in my head. If there's this thing that you want, and it's $1,000, but you don't have the $1,000, don't spend the money. And he had something with that because later I read in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 5, that the borrower is slave to the lender, that the one who borrows is a slave to the one who lends. 
And so there were moments when I overspent and I realized I became a slave to the person who lent me the money. Now I know we can talk about good debt and bad debt or reasonable debt and really bad debt, but the reality is is that debt is never really awesome. It always feels somewhat stressful. In Canada these days, I think we're, the average Canadian is spending $1.65 for every dollar they make. And so my relationship with money, I realized, could bring me joy or pain, peace or stress. And there were decisions I made. Cowboy boots was a funny one, but other ones where I recognized the stress. A couple of years ago, we had, uh, maybe four or five years ago, my wife and I had, had bought a, had to replace our car. Our other one died. And we had two cars that kind of really died early. We're like, oh, what a pain. You know, and we always bought buy used cars. But this time we said, we're going to buy a little newer, six months old. We're going to keep it for 10, 12 years. We're going to beat the system. Until I... I hit a deer with that car two years later, and I, I totaled the car. And, uh, and it's like, okay, well, that plan went out the roof. But thankfully, there's insurance, right? And so I'm dealing with the insurance company, and uh, we're talking about things. And, and uh, then, you know, okay, how much are we going to get for my car? I need to buy another one. Thankfully, the insurance was going to cover the reasonable value of a car that was now three or four years old at the time. And I remember... They, they gave me a price, and I said, you know, I've, I've searched the market, and I cannot afford my same car today at the money you're giving me. So this is just a side tip. It's extra. It's free. You don't have to pay for this advice. I sent them a letter. I said, can you give me $3,600 more? They gave me $1,800 more. So all that to say is if you're ever working with an insurance company, ask for more. You might get more. So, but here's the thing. When, when, when the amount, when I knew how much I had to spend on this next car we had to buy, there was this temptation because now it's like, why don't we just buy a better car? Why don't we spend a few more thousand more? We're still paying one off a little bit. It was half paid, half not paid. And I thought, man, let's, I thought I deserve it. I hit a deer. Why can't I, I, I should get a new car, you know? And, and, but then Frank and I were talking. We're like, no, 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 no. Let's, okay, this is what we're getting. Let's, let's work within our limits. And as we looked and searched, sometimes it was so tempting. You're at a car lot. You're like, it's only a thousand more. Oh, just, it's good without tax, and with tax, I'll pay a little bit more. And we just thoughtfully paused and said, you know what, let's be committed to going under this limit. And here's what happened. This was the best thing that happened. Because a year earlier, um, for the first time, we had to buy a second car. We bought an, an older Yaris, eight or nine years old. My wife was starting to work every morning, and it was very hard to kind of arrange ourselves with one car. And we were committed to one car, but we couldn't do it. And so we we bought this older car and we said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to pay this car off in one year. It was less than $5,000. We're going to aggressively pay it off. We don't want this debt. So we did like $400 a month. We're paying this car off. Basically my wife worked extra to pay the car for the year, unfortunately, but then it, it would pay off later on. So here's what happened. I got the insurance money. We found this other car and we spent a little, we spent less than we were going to get from the insurance company. And here's the beauty that happened. We had enough money to pay off the Yaris. You know what happened? There was a a couple of thousand left. We're like, great, we're going to pay it off. The only word I can use to describe that experience for me is just one word, peace. It's just peace. That's the word, peace. This sense of peace that somehow we didn't have to stretch ourselves or committed to not stretching ourselves further. And as my relationship with money began to grow, it started these building blocks. God owns everything. God is the source of my provision. I'm responsible for that provision, and I can tell money where to go. 
And I started to slowly build these pieces together through my family experiences, my work experiences, through good purchases and bad purchases. And as my relationship with money began to grow, it started to grow beyond just what I spent, but what I saved and what I looked forward to and what we needed to plan for. And then I learned how to give back to God's mission. And I started to recognize that in my relationship with money, there was something that was not fully where it needed to be. And it was this godly purpose to give to the Lord's mission and the Lord's purposes And this godly purpose began to balance out my relationship with money. Because all those other principles are really good. They're important, right? And I slowly learned that through my life and through good and bad experiences. But then this piece of giving and generosity, as I started to discover it, it started to balance out my relationship with money. And I think in other relationships, you know that, right? There's some things you know you're doing well, and then there's these one or two things. Once they get into the picture, like, oh, this is the way this is supposed to work. Now this feels holistic. And so giving came into the picture today. uh, I'm going to explain a little bit more. But for me, what that landed my wife and I on is that we just, you know, take our salary and we just divide it 10, 10, 80. We give 10%, we save 10%, we we figure out how to spend the other 80%. And that's been a model for us. But here's the question that I often get asked from people, Christians and non-Christians. Why do you give? And how do you Work through your giving habits, and, and, and how do you feel comfortable with that? And, and how do you figure out, you know, like, you wanted this, but you've given this money away? And so all these questions would come to my wife and I, whether we're sitting with singles or couples or families, whether it's just a generic question or maybe somebody who's walking through a struggle at that time. And so I just want to, for the, for the rest of this message, not too much longer, but I, I want to answer the question, why I, why I give? And what has shaped me towards that? And the first thing that shaped me for, towards that actually wasn't the Bible, it was my parents. Because I saw in my home a family who gave. My dad was generous with people, generous with the church, generous with his life. My mom was generous with her life and her time. And, and every, almost weekly, you know, depending how they gave, I was a little kid and I'd walk into their, their bedroom and I'd see like, back then churches had offering envelopes. And they got like 52 for the year, you know, every week. And I would just see these offering envelopes on my parents' dresser. And I'd like, oh, how much are they giving this week? And I'd take a peek. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot. Or, or well, you know, whatever. And then i like, really? That? Okay. And I said, look at that. But, you know, as a kid, and then a teenager, these envelopes became common to my memory, common to what I saw in my house. And I saw that with my grandparents because they became Christians, um, you, know, it, you know, before I was born. And they were um, supporting the church and, and giving generously outside of that. And, and so this envelope thing was etched in my mind. I'm like, okay, my family gives. My parents, this is somehow how they work out their life. My uncle was telling me a story about my grandmother once when they came from Italy. And they were already believers. And my grandfather had a job in a manufacturing um, plant. And he didn't make too much money, but he would, he would go to the bank when he gets his check, cash his check, bring it home in, in cash. My grandmother would take the check because she kind of handled the money more. She'd look through it. She'd take out 10% of it. She'd go to another room, put it in the envelope, and she's like, okay, now we're going to go groceries and we're going to do this. And my uncle said he always saw that. And some weeks they had enough money to buy good meat, and some weeks they had money not to buy meat at all. 
But my grandmother would always do that. And these stories just became planted in my brain and in my heart. It kind of created this muscle memory in me that, okay, there's some kind of like tradition here that's happening. And as I started to work, it dawned on me, okay, what am I going to do with my first paycheck? What am I going to do now as I work? And as I started to follow that, it was something I just, I just did, and it began to pr- produce something in me. But I started to realize that's not the only reason I give. That was one reason I give. Another reason I give, which is really important, and I'll just say it openly, God instructs me to give. When I look at the scriptures, God instructs me to give through his word. I read through the story of Israel, and I see how, how God shaped Israel um, to be a generous people, to provide for their community, to provide for their, their faith activities, how God um, encouraged Israel to also give towards those who came into their, you know, outside of themselves like foreigners and to help them. And, and God shaped Israel towards this practice of giving. As I looked into the New Testament, I realized, well, Jesus continued this practice. I remember in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's speaking to the disciples, he says these few words. Sometimes he says, when you pray, when you fast, when you do this. And he said, when you give. And I thought, well, here's an assumption here. Jesus doesn't say, if you give, or if you've decided to give. He says, when you give. I'm like, okay, this is an assumption here. And later reading other parts of Jesus' teachings and affirmed in the New Testament, this idea that this proportionate giving to God's work was, was just part of everyday life and faith for believers in the first century. Personally, I see uh, when we talk about a tithe or 10%, I see it taught throughout the Old Testament and encouraged, not as a law in the New Testament, but as a guideline that we will always be people who give proportionate to our income. This tithe to the Lord. And I, I really believe the New Testament kind of speaks even beyond that as we serve a generous God. But that started to grow in me. I used to read these parts of scriptures. And then I used to notice what I noticed from my parents. I started to read in the scriptures. I'm like, okay, this is where they got this from. This, this just, just didn't happen. I was speaking to a woman who was part of our church for about a year. And she's a she, uh, dear lady. She's in her 80s now. And I ended up calling her this week because she had some questions about our, uh, what, we're going, like what we're looking forward to in the next year. And she started talking to me about giving and generosity. And she said, I met my husband and he was a Christian and, 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 I, and I wasn't familiar with generosity. And I used to ask him at first, are you really giving this money to the church? And and he would say, yes, this is, like, this is, this is going to be our, our life. We want to be generous. We want to live this way. And this lady, uh, I, I, I wrote down what she told me, but she said, there is, she said, we never lacked. In her 80 years of life, we never lacked as we continually grew in generosity. I thought, what an amazing testimony. And what I noticed in her and in my parents and others, I read in the scriptures. But that's not the only reason I give. Here's another reason I give. And it's dear to my heart. I give because I'm committed to supporting our church. I'm really deeply committed to supporting the work of the local church. I believe that the local church is part of God's mission for the world. And because I believe that, and I believe in the work of the local church, I believe that, that, that my support is something that reflects my commitment. It's so, it's so valuable to me. And I've been part of different churches. I mean, Westside's been 15 years, but I'm 45, and I've, I've been part of different churches. And in every church, as I, as I you know, you know, knew the church and understood the church, I'm like, this is part of God's mission. I'm going to be committed to this. i never forget 
Uh, and for us, my wife and I, that support, you know, is a tie. That's, it's 10% of our income because we just feel committed to it. But I remember before Westside started, we were serving at another church. We ended that season really well. And that church was encouraging to us. They knew what we were going to do, and uh, they knew we were going to nothing. They had, you know, we had no clue where provision was going to come from. But they said, here, we'll at least you know, give you like two, three months of salary to help you kind of figure things out. So they did. But we were churchless for three months. And the three, four months, because Westside didn't start, well, there was nobody anyways. I mean, we ended up starting with four or five people. And, and I remember just as, as we got that provision for two, three months, my wife and I just said, okay, we have nowhere to give our tithe. We can still give towards the other things. So we, we put that money aside. Uh, every, every month, we put that money aside. I remember when Westside, we were just four or five people, six people, seven in a living room, and there's this basket there where we start to give. like, you know what? We, we want to make sure that we give what the Lord has provided for us in the last three, four months. And it was just this step of faith because it was something like, I'm committed to whatever church I've been a part of, but to this church. And so for us, Westside gets our priority because it's our church. Now, our kids as they were growing up, would say, Dad, why do you give if you get paid from the church? Like, why don't you just do a swap over or something? I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, I don't give because I get paid. I get, we give because we give. And whether we've been part of a church or on staff or not, we just give. It's, it's who we are and what we're about. And, but as they were growing up, they just had the, they just, you know, normal question, right, from a kid. And so we started to discern, okay, our first fruits, our first tithe goes to the church and then discern where the Lord leads us afterwards. And you know what? I'll be honest. When I, when I get my tax receipt at the end of the year <laughs> uh, for Westside and other places, I'm happy. I'm like, this is amazing. I love this. It's not like something, I, I don't post it, <laughs> but I just, I love it because I'm like, God, you've been so faithful. And some of my friends will say, Dave, that could be a trip. That could have been extra features on a car. That could have been this or that, right? If you tally the numbers up, if you're a numbers person, but there's never been a regret in the last 25 years when I would see what, how the Lord has led us to, to give faithfully. But here's another reason I give. I've seen people grow spiritually through giving. I've seen people grow spiritually through giving because this is amazing New Testament principle that all obedience leads to some kind of blessing. And I don't mean financial or material blessing, but all obedience leads to spiritual growth. All obedience leads to spiritual growth. And our giving, incredibly enough, leads to spiritual growth. Because when we give, when I give, I recognize, I'm telling God, Lord, you own all this. Lord, you're Lord of my life. And that act says, you're first. I don't know what it is about that because it's so tangible for us. Frank and I have experienced more courage as a result of our giving, more uh, a sense of, of trust and courage in the Lord from a result of our giving than, than some of the other things that we've obeyed the Lord with. And I don't know what it is. I think there's a spiritual valve that opens up when, when it's part, when it's something that's so dear to your heart and close to who you are, right? So people grow spiritually. I've seen that. Here's another reason I give. I think giving has, for me, has influenced all of our money management, because when, when we have been able to like, come to this, you know, over time, over experiences, over scripture, over things, come to this place where, where giving becomes a discipline and a practice and an ongoing thing, that just overflows into other parts of our lives. Because when we've said this is priority, this is where we're going to put our money, then somehow the decision to discipline ourselves in this area or this area or this purchase 
this decision somehow helps these other decisions. And so we've seen that influence all of our money management. But here's the best part. This is my favorite. This is one of the, my, one of, the, one of my favorite reasons and I think expressions of why I feel so strongly about our personal giving is we've experienced God's provision and protection. Simple. Over the years, we have experienced God's provision and God's protection. We have experienced this early on and uh, over the years to see how God has protected us and provided for us. I was a 22-year-old young guy, and I started serving at a church, and they were only able to give me $16,000 a year. And in my head these days, I'm like, why didn't I tell them I'll work, you know what, I'll serve the church for two, three days, I'll go work at a coffee shop. But I didn't, I just said, sure, I'll work full time. <laughs> and we did. And my wife was working a little bit as well. And, but I remember we were preparing to get married, living on my own, and, and these principles, these building blocks that were so slowly kind of taking place, we, we just applied them. And at 16 or $20,000 a year with, with marriage and wedding and apartment and car and expenses, you know what we noticed? God provided and God protected every season. And it wasn't about how much money we made. It was, it was just this, this beautiful experience that God provided and God protected. It doesn't mean we didn't have ups and downs. It doesn't mean we didn't have some difficulty in finances. But as we look over the year, we recognize that. In fact, there was a couple of times my accountant at the time, and he was the church treasurer, and he would say, Dave, sometimes, like, you know, I don't know how you do everything you do with your salary because he did my taxes. I'm like, the, in my head, I wanted to say, you're the treasurer. You could fix that easily. I don't even have to pray about it, right? Um, but, but, but it's okay. Like, I said, you know what? That, that's God. That's the Lord. He's protected us and provided for us. When, when Franca, we had made a decision for her to stay home um, when our kids were, were um, just young and in our late 20s and 30s and a church plant and a mortgage, and these principles still played themselves out. God still provided. God still protected. We experienced God's blessing in different ways. We experienced it in one way. We survived. We're like, hey, 25 years have come by. We've survived. Uh, we've experienced it through contentment, where God has like, helped us have a sense of contentment in life. Uh, we've, we've experienced it through peace, just a sense of peace in some of these principles and a sense of peace with the Lord. But sometimes we experience in rare occasions the odd gift. I remember someone who, who had the means. We were going out and we were just had enough kind of to, to head out on a vacation and this person um, out of the blue gave us and said, you know, here's just a little bit of spending money. We were shocked. That never happened to us. We're like, wow, God. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Someone had helped us use one of their parents' small cottages in, in, in New Brunswick one year for like $200 for 12 days. I'm like, that's amazing. We were blessed. And so we recognized some of these blessings. But here's one, one incident where I'm like, I could not plan this. So Frank and I were renting an apartment in LaSalle. We're going to buy a house in Laval. We bought this home, and uh, it was like 2001. We're renting in LaSalle, going to move here. And, all, and then we're like, okay, well, this is going to be a big shift, a big move. We did our calculations. We, we figured out we we're going to make this happen. The owner, I talked to the owner one day. I'm like, hey, how's it going? He was stressed. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, man, you know, I know I sold the house, but I have to move to France in six months for work, and I have no place to live. And I'm like, oh. And as a joke, I said, do you want to rent your house back? And uh, he said, he stopped. He's like, 
you know what? I, I get the paper in the morning, and when I call the apartments at lunchtime, they're all gone. He's like, if you would rent me the apartment, I'll take it. I mean, the house. I'm like, really? So I said, okay. I said, well, it has to cover my expenses. So we worked it out, and I don't, can't remember what he gave me a month. But for one year, we lived in this apartment in LaSalle, and this house in Laval, the mortgage, the taxes, the expenses, they're all getting paid from this guy's rent. Like the guy who owned the house, he's paying me now. And I, I'm like, how did that happen? You know? And I, I wanted to be on the up and up. I went to you know, Revenue Canada. I said, hey, listen, I have this house, but I have an apartment. Do I have to pay tax on that income? They said, for the first year, you pay no tax on the income of your property. If, you go, if later, then you... I'm like, sweet deal. I'm like, it's amazing. So, and I was like, I could not have in my wisdom done that, right? I could not have done that. So God's given us wisdom. One of my mentors said this, and we're going to end in just a minute or so. I'm not rich enough, smart enough, powerful enough to secure my family or future from a financial standpoint. God, has, has, God in my personal experience, has given us wisdom when we didn't have it. And, and here's, here's how I want to end this today. After 25 years, and I just want to share my story. After 25 years from moving from God owns everything, we've come to realize we can trust God with everything. The, the, the initial starting point was we, got, we had to come to the realization God knows everything. But over time and experiences and learning and ups and downs and dumb purchases and peaceful purchases and, and, and giving and, and these principles and the scriptures, we've come to realize, yes, God does own everything, but we've come to realize we can trust God with everything. And that, for me, is more important than any principle, that we can trust God with everything. There's this relationship with money for us and in our own ups and downs that we've come to be able to trust God, not our smarts or, or wisdom, not some quick, rich schemes, not hoarding things, not expecting you know, riches from God. But at the end of the day, after just several years of this, it's like we can trust God. And the reason I think, and I'm just sharing this very openly today, and like I said, I'm going to leave you to do with it as you wish why I think at moments we were able to spend less than we made is because we learned that we can trust God to fulfill our life. Why there was moments where we could say we need to be saving for the future, it's because we can trust, we learned to trust God's wisdom for planning. Why were we able to, I think, tithe regularly and give beyond that as the Lord led us and stretched us in every season? It's because we began to realize I can trust God. I don't need to trust my paycheck. I need to trust God, not my paycheck. And so I want to end with Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, there's, there's over a thousand verses on money in the scriptures, but this is one of my favorite verses. It doesn't mention money, but I think it expresses the desire that I have to grow with my relationship with money that I would trust the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close in prayer. And uh, today, just in a special way, we have this, this book that has really challenged me uh, over the years. It's called The Treasure Principle. And uh, so many people that have read this book have been really impacted to, in, in how the Lord would lead them, where they put their treasure. It's not just about money. It's about all of life. And so we, wanna, we want just everyone today, just one copy for every family uh, or couple. 
or single person, just to, to have a copy of this. And you can get them on the way out today. It's just a gift. Because, you know, here, if there's something just related to this topic, um, it really grieves my heart when I see people or families uh, wrestle with this. And we've, just, we've experienced, yes, ups and downs, but we've also experienced the Lord's provision and protection. And I, my heart says, oh, there's so much joy in this if we can move forward in this, if you can move forward in this. And so today, I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to respond um, or, or, or give you like a specific application. I just want to share my story and leave it with you and trust the Lord will work in that and how you need it. And so I want to pray for you today. And even as we close, some of the people who've been ready to pray for people, if you can uh, just be here at the front when, when we close. If anybody needs prayer for anything in life, uh, you can come and be prayed for this morning. But I want to pray for you right now. And then, then just as I close in prayer, I want to read a blessing for you, okay? So let's pray. Father, um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful, God. I know that there's some here in our community that maybe have had really difficult early experiences in life when it came to provision or family. Um, and, I, and I know, yet even in the middle of that, God, you can redeem those experiences. And I trust that your principles are the same for all of us. God, I, just, I thank you for, for some of my own experiences, for my family moments, for the moments of discovering truth in Scripture. And for several years, God, now that I could look back, my wife and I just look back, and, and not over a few months, not over even a couple of years, but over more than two decades, we could see your hand at work. Thank you. Just, just my story, Lord. I'm thankful, God, that you have led us to be able to trust you with everything. Lord, maybe that's a movement that some of us need to make today from knowing you own everything to being able to trust you with everything. So I pray for anyone, even right now, is going through a financial struggle, a difficulty, a season. Maybe they're working through different principles, a budget. Maybe they're considering all of their life. Lord, may you, your Holy Spirit, be evident and active in their discernment process. We trust you in all things. Amen.